When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Coming up in 20 minutes, Trey Wallace of OutKick joins us. SEC headlines and game previews. That's at 320 Central, 420 Eastern. And then an hour from now, the VolQuest Power Hour with Brent Hubbs and Austin Price, the latest from the Hill in Big Orange Country in Knoxville as they prepare for the Alabama Crimson Tide this Saturday. Uh, Is there a more newsy campus this week than Tennessee? Than Tennessee? With uh, the debris being thrown on the field, the controversial game against Ole Miss, now Jeremy Pruitt uh, trying to burn the university down. There's a lot of news to get into with the Vols. Think about the, the sports fan in this area. In the, we're, we're sitting here at 6th and Peabody, Yeehaw Beer, Old Smoky Moonshine, downtown Nashville. Uh, but the middle Tennessee, the, the state of Tennessee region, really, uh, for the most part, you're an Atlanta Braves fan, especially if you're in your 30s and you grew up in the 90s watching them on a daily basis. You are a Vols fan growing up in the state, and you're a Titans fan because they moved here in 97. All three teams with significant games and results and pure sports fandom surrounding them right now. And just going back to last weekend, where on Saturday you had the Braves win, walk-off fashion. You had the Vols and Ole Miss Saturday night and how things played out. Sunday, you had the Braves walk-off win. Monday night, Titans-Bills. Last night, bottom of the eighth collapse for the Braves. I mean, the waves of emotions for the, the SEC area is crazy right now. Well, and there's a lot of, like you said, Hutton, there's a lot of, of Vols slash Braves fans, right? I yeah. think... Most Vols fans, if they have a baseball team, it's probably the Atlanta Braves. So it has been... Not all are diehard. It's been but cascading yeah, throughout. Yeah. Maybe you're, you're keeping an eye on it, especially in the postseason. But I mean, the, even... The, and we'll talk about this with, with Brent and Austin, but the wave of emotions in the first quarter alone of Tennessee and Ole Miss, starting with the pregame, with the, the lights out running through the tee for the first time in history. Yeah. Uh, with the, the light show, with Lane Kiffin walking out to booze and waving at the crowd. Uh, from the defensive stop, you didn't think you were going to get all game, to a muff punt that led to an Ole Miss touchdown, to a strip score that you thought was a touchdown that was taken off the board, to a safety. I mean, first quarter alone had seven memorable moments in that game. It was, it was something else, and we'll, we'll talk about it with those guys. Keeping on with that, Hunt, it may turn into a – if things are trending for the Braves, the way Chad feels, uh, Alabama's not going to be very good result. Uh, Titan secondary is a mess right now with Patrick yeah. Mahomes coming to a town. It may be a different emotional weekend. That's a great point. Yeah, it could be a crazy weekend of uh, a downer, really, uh, coming up. But well, the only downer for Tennessee fans in this Alabama game <laughs> should be if you lose key guys to injury because nothing would surprise me final score-wise you don't want to lose 60 well, to nothing. Still not fun to watch. Yeah, you don't, want to, you don't want to give up 55 and score three in this game. Obviously, that'd be very embarrassing, but you got you to gotta compete 
but get through this game without the key injury for the rest of the way? Um, Over the last couple of years, the NFL trade deadline has been busy, but I can't recall this much discussion about November 2nd and the NFL trade deadline, which was two weeks from yesterday, as much as we've had over the first month of the season. Uh, and it, it will really, it's really about to pick up today because John McClain has this breaking news story uh, that he just released. John McClain, who joins us on Tuesdays. The Texans, I'm going to read directly from TexasSportsNation.com. The Texans could finally be getting closer to trading Deshaun Watson to the Miami Dolphins, a team they play November 7th. Even though the NFL trading deadline isn't until November 2nd, a deal could go down this week according to people familiar with the negotiations. If the Texans and Dolphins are unable to consummate the trade this week, they want to get it done by the league's deadline. That from John McClain, um, who points to the Dolphins that after their fifth consecutive loss, uh, which most recently happened in London, they're on their bye, um, McClain is saying that they return to the States even more certain that it was time to trade for Deshaun Watson. Well, that makes sense. They got to get going. They're one and five. They're in the bottom of the AFC East, where the Bills are presumably going to to win the division at four and two right now. But the Patriots and the Jets are primed for the taking there. Um, I wonder if they would include in that deal that he not play against the Texans in that head-to-head matchup. I think this has little to do with this season. No, oh, I think and, it has more to, to do with, with taking the chance on getting a top five quarterback in the league, top 10 quarterback, and pair it with a roster and a defense you think is good. Well, I think it's a long-term deal, but I think they, they could yeah, be a wild-card team this year. I mean, that roster is not playing up to its level. They're this one better, and five? It's a better team than it was last year. The mm-hmm. last wild-card spot in the AFC could go to nine and eight teams. The, well, I don't the, know. We keep in mind there are seven teams that get in now, not six. There's an extra spot and... That that last spot, I mean, think of what the seventh team... Well, let me the, give you the scenario. The AFC West and the AFC North have something to say about the one and five Dolphins getting in. Let me give, you, let me give you this scenario. It would give them life and potential. What would you guys prefer if you were the Dolphins? Make this trade and immediately find out that Deshaun Watson is suspended for half a season for the rest of the way based on what the league found, the league and you're not going to have him this year, or trade for Deshaun Watson... Get hot with Deshaun Watson. Get the final playoff spot this year, or go ahead and serve that suspension right after you trade for him. Oh well, I mean, if he's suspendable now, the league has to tell. I mean, if the league doesn't tell you that before you, but trade I'm saying for it, 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 it may be in two weeks. So that, you know, they don't have to do it. I don't they, think they, there's they, anything new that's coming to light that would make him eligible to be suspended yeah. right now. If if there's he was if he was suspendable now, he'd be suspended. It would just. February is the next It's also tough date. to think about, and I, I understand why they want to trade for him. I, I would make the move if I were the Dolphins. Armando Salguero covers the team for a year, said he'd make the move. But if you make the move now and they play well enough to get the final playoff spot and lose on the road in the, in the wild card playoff round, and then this offseason legal things happen where Deshaun Watson misses at least a season. And he very well could. Yes. He very well could. That's why. Then, then where are you? But that's, Chad, that's why no one's traded for him yet. You got a mulligan year, essentially, if you're the Dolphins? Well, where you hope that he stays in shape the and he's fact good to that, go? The fact that McLean is, is reporting this says it's going to happen um, because he has, Not week after week after board. week after week, he has come on this show and told us 
that they're Watson is not being traded anytime soon. And the trade this was back in July when the the fire was hot with trade rumors circulating involving the Dolphins quite frankly. The Dolphins have a number of picks. They also have Tua Tagovailoa. And the question is, are they trading Tua as a part of this? Is uh, the Texans would be willing to trade him now at the trade deadline if they know they're getting Tua in return? Because you can build for the future there. I'm not saying that it's the right move to make because the Dolphins have made the wrong move with him twice. They drafted him ahead of Justin Herbert. And then they did not pull or have the stones to pull what the Arizona Cardinals did where they drafted Josh Rosen and quickly went in about face and drafted Kyler Murray in a draft that took place here in Music City because they knew Rosen wasn't the guy. The Dolphins had a high pick last year and chose to trade, trade out of it because they were stuck with Tua. They, they were sticking with Tua for that reason. And it just has not, they're one in five. It has not worked out. He's been knocked out of three games due to a rib injury and they have to get somewhere. They have no traction at the position. This gives them a little boost, gives them life with a, I mean, honestly, if we're ranking pure talent, Deshaun Watson is a top five quarterback in the NFL. Houston is in line right now for the number two pick in the draft. They are not in line, however, if they trade with Miami for Miami's pick in the draft because Miami's pick in the draft belongs to the Eagles. So the Eagles right now have three of the top 11 picks in the draft. They own this draft. But Philadelphia has given away picks that don't include their number one pick this year because it already belongs to the Eagles. I don't remember what that deal was. What has Deshaun Watson been doing throughout this time? Sitting inactive. I don't know if they practice I mean, is him he, on a is different he, field. Is he coming around the, the facility every day? Yeah, I think so. That's I, odd. It's almost like the, the Ben Simmons treatment with Philadelphia. Yeah, he didn't get kicked out. Well, he didn't do anything. They yeah, got kicked just out because they didn't let him do anything. Stood there, but it's still very odd. I'm, I'm just curious what his daily routine has been like throughout all of this. And I have no idea. Something we can ask John McClain yeah. when he comes on with us next I think Tuesday. He, I think he comes through and runs scout team. I, I do think that's what, what he does. Oh. I'm, I'm surprised if he's doing that much because the big concern was getting him hurt. Well, hey, good for him if he's doing that. I mean, well, he's got to do something. All he's got to do whatever they ask contract, him in order to earn yeah. the money. But I'm sure that... Well, their backup's currently starting. He's not running the scout team. Yeah. The other quarterback on the roster is Deshaun Watson, who's inactive. We'll ask John McClain what his day, day-to-day looks like with the Texans right now when he comes back on with us on Tuesday. Or what, it's about to change. <laughs> well, his, yeah, his day-to-day with the Dolphins yeah. is going to be very different because he's going to be preparing as a starter. Dolphins do have four second-round picks this year. Yeah. So they could give Houston a lot of fodder for Houston to be able to move up if it wanted to go try to go get the, the quarterback. And, you know, next year's one and a couple of twos this year could give yeah. it fodder to move up. Yeah, keep in mind, go get a quarterback. Keep in mind, the trade with the Eagles was to move up in this year's draft. They tra- they, the Eagles traded down, and then, uh, excuse me, the, the Dolphins traded out and then traded back up um, whenever they went and got uh, Jalen Waddle. Correct. Um, which has worked out. Waddle's been tremendous in Miami. Yeah, and where they don't have much going, going well. That's going to be a fascinating story. If, if this trade comes about, you know, I this, think then you're the you're the 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 Miami brass in fear of the phone call, the email, or the text every day, but really come February about what happens to him in the criminal justice system. 
or the potential now right. for another accusation to come or at any time. Everything's quieted down. Everything will get stirred back up. I don't know that there's any other. Don't you think if there were other allegations, they would have happened by now? I mean, it's all now just up to the legal system as to how they proceed, because I don't think there's you know, 25 more victims waiting in the wings no. just to wait for on the trade, and then they come forward, too. It doesn't I, seem I, like I that. think everything legitimate is out now. But I think uh, if there are people that want to mess around who are not legitimate, this would be a ripe time for that. Casario has been asking for three first-round and two second-round picks. That's too much. But keep keep in mind, uh, they they have held to that since the offseason and have not moved him. But to move him, Watson has a no-trade clause in that contract that he signed September of last year. The team he has mentioned or that's been reported that he's very high on is Miami because he has Will Fuller and other buddies of his that play on this team. So in order to get this trade done, you also need Watson to approve it. And he's no fan of Casario and the Texans organization. So Miami's on the list, not because they have a bunch of first-round picks, but in part because that's where they can actually trade their quarterback. Yeah, it's funny. He has leverage to say he no, does. but he wants to get the hell out of there. Either so. way, he's paid $10 million this year. He yeah. can say no and still cash a $10 million check at the end of the year. Right. I mean, That's But leverage. also not get on the field ever. Aren't sports something? Yeah, it's amazing. You know, the rare, the rare place where your contract can be honored because you can't go to work because you face 24 sexual assault allegations and can't do your job, but yet that – Organization is on the hook for $10 million that year. And you have to approve the trade. And, and you still get trade approval. What a world wow. to Good. be a franchise quarterback with an NFL contract. Uh, what a league. What a league that has stepped in in, in moments of, in, in situations of years past and has not done anything in this case. It's well, very it gift-wrapped for the league, right? It's gift-wrapped for the league to not have to do anything because of this whole... Just, uh, it's just weird. It's a dream they, scenario for the league. Isn't it weird, though, that they just all of a sudden now don't want to do anything? Where for years, they, they were quick wait to, to want to do something? They couldn't wait to do anything. They had an itchy tr- trigger finger. I can't wait to do something with this allegation. And an now itchy all trigger of a sudden, finger. Now they have no weapon. I'm, guys, I'm so glad we've got an out to not punish Deshaun Watson, and let's, let's make sure the Texans pay him that full $10 million after all these allegations. It's weird how that works. He was going to hold out before. He was going to hold out and not get any money. And it very... It, it, in respect to the league, it might be true that they have not been allowed to see anything in regards to this case at all. I would not cooperate but that, with the league for that a second. Is, it's very bizarre that they haven't, especially with how easy they'll leak emails on John Gruden. I mean, from what you hear from true. some of these people who have dealt with the league, hell, Ray Rice's wife, who, who right. talked to the league with Ray Rice in the room, uh, I mean, from the way they've butchered so many things, I don't know why you'd be inclined to help the league. Now, and Ray Rice's wife was at least, you know, married to the guy that they were talking to. These other women have nothing to do with the NFL. Why would you? They have no subpoena authority, no criminal authority. If they come knocking on your door, I'd say, yeah, this is a no solicitation neighborhood. Go away. I'm calling the homeowners association. Brent in the YouTube chat says, good thing Watson didn't send any emails. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's a very good point. Coming up, Trey Wallace joins us. Time to preview the SEC weekend of a slate of games that includes Tennessee, Alabama. Also get his thoughts on the attorney for Jeremy Pruitt and what he had to say versus what Rick Barnes and Philip Fulmer responded with yesterday in regards to that buyout. 
All of that and more straight ahead. Outkick 360 rolls on. The SEC weekend slate includes Tennessee at Alabama. It's Outkick 360. We are live from 6th and Peabody with Old Smoky Moonshine, Yeehaw Beer. And pleased to be joined by Trey Wallace. You can read his work at Outkick.com. He's an SEC writer and columnist. Does a fabulous job covering the Southeastern Conference. And uh, we, we can start, Trey, with the news in Knoxville. How are you? I don't think that would be a problem. I think that's been a hot pocket <laughs> for the last, uh, what, 24 hours? So, crazy. yeah, I'm doing good, guys. Good to be on with you all. It's been a busy time in Knoxville. Where shall we start? Let's start with the news from yesterday. Because, Trey, yeah. you broke the original story on uh, everything going on with the NCAA investigation. Brian Niedermeyer, Shelton Felton, and, and Jeremy Pruitt. Now Jeremy Pruitt is going scorched earth on the university were you surprised to see this news, to see these emails? Where do you think Tennessee goes from here in their response? I, I wasn't surprised to see the email, guys. Um, I, I think this was kind of coming. You know, this, this lawyer, Michael Lyons, has kind of threatened to, to file a lawsuit for a hot minute now. Um, I remember him saying something along the lines of, you know, he would file one at the beginning of October. Um, and, and that didn't come. But what he did do is send a letter to Tennessee threatening pretty much to release a lot of information regarding the basketball program and many different sports at Tennessee um, if, if they didn't come to the table and if they didn't want to negotiate any kind of settlement for Jeremy Pruitt. Um, to me, it feels like, Chad, that this attorney is potentially holding you know pocket eights and he's hoping Tennessee thinks he's holding pocket aces. And, and I think that's kind of what we get down to in this situation. Now, look, Tennessee responded to his email and says, hey, look, we're, we're not paying you. We're not sitting down. We're not talking with you. Um, you know, you can continue to go on down this road if you like, but nothing's going to come of it. So Tennessee is dug in. They've stood their ground on this. And Tennessee has a lot of information on Jeremy Pruitt and what went down and transpired over the last three years. And also, Tennessee went back and also did a little investigating on his last two months on the job at Alabama. So I would be very, very careful if I was this attorney and Jeremy Pruitt about how much you want to get into this, because I know for a fact that there were a few Alabama football players brought up in the conversation when it came to the investigation of Jeremy Pruitt. Trey, how bad could pocket eights be? given what Tennessee already knows in these violations. Would it, the insinuation to me is, you guys know what we know, and we're going to release it. Yeah, Jonathan, I think it's more or less, okay, yes. Do I think Jeremy Pruitt has information on boosters at, at Tennessee and has stuff that maybe trickles back a little bit to the regime before him? Absolutely. Uh, but that would be that's common. I think that sure. you know even even bringing Philip Fulmer into the picture. Okay, well I'm sure Philip knows things that went on there. And and the other thing too is you know they they sent that email. Oh pre, please preserve all the documents. Tennessee's doing that anyways. Like he just put that in there to make it seem like Tennessee is not recording or putting everything into data storage that they are uncovering in this investigation. So I thought that was a little petty on the attorney's part because they're, they're, they were already doing that. I, I think pocket eights, you know, potentially is, hey, look, 
this was going on before I was here. Uh, there were people in this department, maybe in the athletic department, higher ups, you know, in that Philip Fulmer type area. Hey, look, they knew what was going on. Y'all didn't do anything about it then. So now all of a sudden you're going to do something about it now when it comes to cause. So pretty much, Jonathan, Jeremy Pruitt is burying himself and he's saying, you know what? I'm not coaching anymore besides maybe the NFL uh, and maybe being a quality assistant in the NFL or something like that. Uh, and he's saying, I want my money. And I don't think Tennessee's going to budge because from the folks that I've spoken with over the last few months, Tennessee has enough information right now uh, for Jeremy Pruitt to get a show cause and to also say, hey, buddy, you're fired with cause. We're not giving you a damn dime. Well, and Trey, I credit Philip Fulmer and Rick Barnes for actually responding to the story where typically when allegations are made, you just no comment. I don't think Tennessee fans are ready to hear from Philip Fulmer because he's the guy who hired Jeremy Pruitt that brought in all these problems. But if Tennessee fans could like Rick Barnes anymore, I don't think it's possible given his strong response to Jeremy Pruitt. What did you make of Rick Barnes' response to ESPN in this story when his name was brought up? I thought it was fantastic, and I thought it was kind of on par for what Rick Barnes is and what Rick Barnes you know, his, his, his mindset, when you, when you bring Barnes into the table and you, and you include his name into something and you talk about charity organizations or foundations, you know, the university, you're, you are clawing at the wrong person because, you know, it's going to be hard to find anything because Rick Barnes does a pretty darn good job of keeping it by the book at, at Tennessee. And with him coming back last night and saying pretty much, Hey, NCAA, if you would like to come across the street and look into our basketball program, you're more than welcome to. I thought it was a really nice stance from Rick Barnes, um, something he's probably been holding up for a while. Mind you, Rick Barnes is known. This letter was out there for two and a half weeks now since it was sent on October 7th. So when he got asked for comment last night, it's not like he had to come up with something on the fly. He's been waiting to say something to whoever was going to ask. When does it all end? Investigation, <laughs> uh, threat of lawsuit, lawsuit, whatever. Ever, ever, ever an end? Paul, I, I think that, I think the university has done a decent job in putting together what they need to put together to present to the NCAA for self-imposed, anything self-imposed. Um, I think that, this investigation has, has really killed recruiting, um, if, if we're being honest with each other. Um, I think it's left a lot of questions surrounding the football program, which is understandable. Um, a, a timeline on this, you know, you in, in talking with somebody last night, they're like, okay, you know, we think maybe this thing can get wrapped up fully in two months. And, and we can potentially maybe, you know, have something offered up to the NCAA. It's not like Tennessee's not already doing a couple things to maybe mitigate some problems um, down the road or some sanctions. Um, they are. Um, but I, I look at the time period right now in this timeline also, Paul, that this lawyer came up with October 29th. It's like you're if you knew you weren't getting anything now, why are you setting up a date? You're just making yourself look dumb. Um, so, you know, and, and they named a lot of names, Paul. And, and that's another thing, too. So, you know, is 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 as crazy as this has been i didn't think it it would take a, a crazier turn i was waiting for jeremy pruitt's lawyer to file a lawsuit um so it'd make it a lot easier for me to put out a story 
on, on some different things that are going on. But I think right now, um, you know, I, I think we're still a few months away from really kind of into this thing. But I don't think this is the last we've heard from Michael Lyons. And then Tennessee might have to come out with another statement. So from a timing standpoint, I'll ask it to you this way. If Tennessee yeah. beats South Alabama and Vandy and gets to 6-6 six and six this year, are they for sure accepting a bowl bid and playing in a bowl game? Or is there still some scenario where they come back and say a month and a half, two months from now, hey, we're going to self-impose a bowl ban this year and get it out of the way? Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Tennessee's going to come back and say something at the end of the season that they wouldn't already put out now. I don't think, you know, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was, uh, I think it was LSU that put themselves yep. on a bowl man. Well, I'm they waited until they lost five or six games before doing that, but yes, then they self-imposed. Right, they, they did that. I don't think Tennessee's going to do that in, in talking with folks. They're not just going to come out of the blue and tell, hey, players, we're not going to a bowl game after you've won seven games this year. They're not going to do that to the players. They're going to, if, if, this, if this thing has to roll in, to after the season into the new year, then they'll do it. I don't think that you punish the players that have stuck around and been through all of this and and brought excitement back to Knoxville by then telling them, you know, they haven't told them anything now. You know, the players don't know anything now. The players don't know anything about a potential bowl ban. The coaches, you know, rarely get information in regards to this investigation, only to stuff that would help them, you know, in problems maybe with recruiting or whatnot, or if they had a question about certain things. So I look at this right now. I don't think Tennessee is going to self I wouldn't self-impose at this moment, not the way things are going. Um, I just don't see Tennessee coming out after beating the Jaguars and saying, hey, by the way, we're going to self-impose. Sorry, players. Like, I think that would have been a conversation that's already been had. Trey Wallace covers the SEC for OutKick, and he's our guest. Trey, Crazy night in Knoxville on Saturday. Let's get into a number of elements with this. I know you sent an email to, to Herb Vincent of the SEC office about a response. They, they were quick to have the statement about uh, the, the trash being thrown on the field, and rightfully so, uh, the fine for Tennessee, everything else. They've been very quiet on some of the things that led to the madhouse at the end of the game. They have come out and stated when they've screwed up in the past are you surprised by the silence from the SEC on some of this? Do you expect anything to come out of the league office on a couple things that were pretty clearly botched by this crew? I don't. I mean, I, you look at the statement that I put in the, my article uh, Sunday morning. I sent that email uh, to Herb Vincent and the SEC at 8.15 that night. So what, maybe 20 minutes after the play with Tyler Barron, and I asked him, I said, look, whenever you can – please give me some kind of explanation of why this was called from your head of officiating in Birmingham. Because if you go back and look at that play with Tyler Barron, we could talk about it all day, but that play was a fake. It was a fake run, and then they were going to hit the receiver that was out in the flat, and he was going to take it to the house because he was wide open. It was a fake, and it was going to be a, pretty much a pass. Tennessee caught up on it real quick. There wasn't a whistle. I've talked to multiple players that were on the field. There wasn't a whistle. Talked to coaches that were on the sideline. Wasn't a whistle. And then you had Kiffin come out and say in the, you know, the SEC teleconference, you know, he's just thankful that it went the way that it did. And even Kiffin said he didn't. So, you know, the SEC gave me a blanket statement. Pretty much, I'm paraphrasing here. Chad, you've seen the statement where, you know, they said after the play was over, we huddled up and went over our notes to decide that the play was called dead. That is a horrible excuse because the play wasn't called dead 
Ole Miss just got caught trying to run a fake and they stripped it. My biggest thing would have been, what if Tyler Barron would have came in there running 10 miles per hour and put his helmet right into Corral and the ball's fumbled anyway in return? Are you going to call it dead then? So the SEC screwed up. This crew has screwed up multiple times and they wanted to give me a, a half-ass answer. And if that's what they're going to give me, whatever. I got to put it out there, but I don't agree with it. There's a lot of people that watch that fourth and, and 26 or fourth and 27 play to Jacob Warren, and they immediately say, oh, well, you know, they got it right in the end because I think some of the SEC, the SEC network announcers, maybe Jordan Rogers or someone said that he, he thought he got it right, which I'm thinking, well, yes, the SEC network announcers are going to side with the officials. I don't think they got it right on the initial spot. I think it was a bang-bang call if they review it and spot it correctly the first time. I thought it was about a yard and a half short on the initial spot because the official was clearly out of position on it. Trey, you asked a great question uh, to the league. I know you've been asking around. I'm curious if you got any clarification on why we didn't have a great angle on that play and the difference between SEC network amount of cameras versus ESPN versus CBS game. Did you learn anything about that? What did you make of that review process? Uh, so just going through it, you know, Chad, that kind of came to my mind, you know, during the game. It's like, you know, there's a big difference between SEC Network and, and ESPN broadcast. I think that's pretty obvious to folks that have been in the business like us. You know, you're you're going to use a, you know, you're going to use the university help for a lot of things if it's like an SEC Network broadcast most of the times compared to a national broadcast with ESPN. Uh, I have not been able to get an answer from anybody. And I have asked multiple people why there was not a different angle. How many cameras did you have in the stands? And this goes for all SEC games, looking for a different kind of, you know, angle on a plate. Like, why did we only see pretty much two different angles that did not give us a clear definition of where that line was? Did he make it? Going back and look at it, I, I don't know. I thought the spot was horrible. Um, but I, I, I couldn't tell because all we could see was behind Jacob Warren. So we really couldn't tell where the ball was definitively. And, and the problem with me is if you're going to invest in all this money in this conference and you're going to say you're the biggest and you're the baddest and we're going to get everything right, why ain't you got another TV sitting across right behind the old Miss bench looking down on every play too where you can have different angles? To me, it's just cheap. If they want to go that route with the SEC network compared to the, the national outlets, they all work together. So I don't see why it's a, that big of a problem. But I would think, you know, looking back at this game, the SEC's got to do a better job and ESPN of getting some different angles when it comes to college football. Because now we look back on this game, there were two plays that, that really kind of set the tone for the game and then potentially for, for after the game. And I don't want to blame everything on, you know, the that that Jacob Warren type play, but it did lead to to fans being pissed off, and and you know what, I I can't blame them just because there's not enough evidence and and there wasn't enough cameras there to show what was on the field. I am granting you all power at LSU, and you are allowed to appoint the next head coach. Who is your perfect replacement? Paul Kaharski. I am calling James Franklin. Uh, at, at Penn State. And I'm saying, hey, man, you want to come back to the SEC and uh, do it on a bigger and grander stage than you did it at Vanderbilt? You've already proved you can win. You already proved you can drum up excitement. Um, and, and you have proved that you can recruit players to a school that usually you can't get the studs. You know, usually you can't go get 14, 15 studs at Vanderbilt. James Franklin, 
He did a hell of a job, and we all know it. I was living there at the time in Nashville covering him. You guys were too. Um, he would be my first call. Um, and then that, you know, that second call would maybe Paul get into the Mario Cristobal type area. Um, I, I don't think Jimbo Fisher um, is, is leaving A&M. I think he's going to get paid too much. You know, then down the line, maybe you go to Billy Napier. You know, Paul, my biggest thing is when it comes to this coaching search, I don't know, I can't think of a year where we're going to have USC that's open, we're going to have LSU that's open, and we're probably going to have Miami that's open. You know, and I know Miami is a step below those other two schools, but just talk about three, you know, premier names in college football. You're going to have a lot of people going after them. But my first one is, hey, James Franklin, tell me no. And then if they get down this road, Paul, maybe Scott Woodard calls Lane Kiffin. I, I don't. I don't know if he would hire him, but I think a conversation might be had just to please Jimmy Sexton. I look at the the spread in Vegas, Trey, and I see nine and a half. Ole Miss favored by nine and a half over LSU. And I think to myself, this is too much respect for LSU. Last week was more about Florida. Ole Miss is about to trounce them. Do you agree? Yeah, I agree. I, I think Vegas might be looking at this thing and wondering if Matt Carell is actually going to play after taking that hit late in the game against Tennessee, kind of twisting that ankle up a little bit. Looked like he also kind of fell back on his on his head a little bit. I, I don't really know. Um, Lane Kiffin's been playing, you know, hide-and-seek with his quarterback with comments all week with Corral. But I look at this situation, and I think that Ole Miss is going to come out. They're going to run the football on LSU, which Kentucky did. Uh, and Florida did. Look what Anthony Richardson did uh, with the Gators when he came into the football game. You're going to see the same thing out of Ole Miss. They're going to test them down the field, and they're going to make them stop Matt Corral getting outside the pocket if he's playing, or they're going to make them stop the running game. And LSU has not proved to me one bit this year that they can do anything on defense that's going to give them an opportunity to win. And, and, And I just don't trust it. And right now, also, how much of these players bought into to Ed Orgeron right now? How much are they really into this football season? I'm very interested in finding out on Saturday in Oxford. Um, you, you watch all the games for OutKick. I get it, for, for the SEC. But which, which game are you eager to watch more? Mississippi State against Vandy or Texas A&M hosting South Carolina? Jonathan, goodness gracious. I mean, there, are, uh, should I mention Arkansas Pine, Pine Bluff against Arkansas in that? <laughs> No, it's a rough no, week. I, you know what? I'm going to go with Mississippi State Vanderbilt. Oh, okay. I, I want to see if Vanderbilt can come out and play the same way that they played against South Carolina, where it took the Gamecocks to the final minute and a different quarterback to come in and lead them to victory. I, I give credit to Vanderbilt. They went to Columbia. They played inspiring football. And Mississippi State is coming off a 49-9 loss to Alabama. You know, they beat Texas A&M, it felt like forever ago, you know, and, and, and now they, you know, they just get blown out. I'm, I'm interested. I think maybe Vanderbilt can beat Mississippi State. I, I, don't, well, I don't know. Let's not get crazy. Let's not get crazy, <laughs> but, I, but I will say that you've seen Mississippi State be acceptable this year, um, especially on defense, giving up a lot of yards. And I'm just saying, look, South Carolina should have probably beaten Vanderbilt by by 14 to 21 points last weekend with just what they had on defense. But the fact that Vanderbilt actually played inspired, I don't know, guys. Maybe they show up in Nashville and they're like, all right, let's get our first SEC win. I hear they're working on squib kick recovery. Well, the the line uh, the line's in line with what you're saying. It It, it went from 24, now it's down to 20 and a half. 
uh, Mississippi State favored in that game on the road. So look, I think they were an 18 point underdog. It's the same at South Carolina and should have won the game. Same spread for A and M South Carolina. Funny enough. Yep. The crazy part is, like, I don't know if I trust Zeb Nolan, you know, against the Aggies. Like we we saw right. what Texas A and M did last week, rushing the ball. And who hasn't rushed on Missouri? Everybody <laughs> has rushed on Missouri. But I'm just saying, I don't know if I trust the Gamecocks going in there with Zeb and Texas A&M. I just think the better – look, it, the marquee of it with A&M, okay, that's different. But maybe the better game, it might happen in Nashville. I agree. Never Trey Wallace, he covers all the games for OutKick.com. You can read his work there covering the SEC. Trey, thank you as always. We'll catch up next week. Hey, guys, thanks for having me. We'll be down in Tuscaloosa this weekend covering nice, hopefully nice. a decent game. So uh, thanks for having me on, guys. Look Take forward care, to that. Trey. appreciate you, Trey. Trey Wallace, who joins us weekly again, head over to OutKick and check out uh, his great work there. Coming up, the latest from Titans practice today. Uh, the We'll get into what Vrabel had to say, Ryan Tannehill, and much more as they prepare for Kansas City this Sunday. That's next on OutKick 360. Tennessee Vols discussion in 12 minutes on OutKick 360. Right now, we talk Titans. Titans and Chiefs this Sunday at Nissan Stadium. Quick turnaround after the win over the Bills Monday night. The Titans have to get back to work. They had a walkthrough today, uh, just trying to get their legs back as they prepare the next two practices for Kansas City in that high-powered offense. Uh, Paul, they're doing it uh, on a short week and Vrabel had a lot of praise, not just for Andy Reid, who has a history with, but for Mahomes and the way they run their offense and the speed. He specifically mentioned speed today. Speed and precision. Um, and that's something the Titans are going to have to defend and defend well um, with, with a depleted secondary. Um, and, and with the pass rush that has done this capture-kill thing, they talked about it from, from week one with Kyler Murray, they faced Russell Wilson. They've got experience defending this kind of guy, but this is really, uh, you know, number one uh, with Lamar Jackson. But it, they they have been burned by uh, Mahomes at, at, with the greatest stakes, right? That that play right before halftime of the AFC Championship game in January of 2020 was maybe the most most heartbreaking moment that Mike Vrabel's Titans have suffered. Um, and uh, that, that sting, there, there aren't too many guys left from that, but that, that's a stinger that uh, sticks with you. Hard to have guys left from that when they're so depleted in the secondary that would have any experience whatsoever, uh, veteran-wise or guys that have been here for two or three years. Yeah, so, Kevin Byard's probably the only guy at uh, the top of my head in the secondary that's left. Yeah, so they, they now have uh, Greg Maben back on the roster. They signed him to the active roster today. What is their plan in the secondary? What did Brable have to say about it? Because they've got Caleb Farley on IR, Christian Fulton's on injured reserve for at least another two weeks. Yeah, I mean, he said they'll see how much Maben, uh, you know, what his recall's like and and uh, how they get him up to speed. Um, Former player quickly. within the defense. I still expect that they'll uh, call up at least one of the practice squad guys along the way here. Chris Jones, probably the, the top option of the two guys there. Um, and it's going to be an all-hands-on-deck kind of event, I would imagine. I, I wrote a piece at my site uh, today just about the evolution, or really the non-evolution, huh, of, of the Nickelback. Because uh, it, it, since that AFC Championship game, they came out of that game, 
Um, and Tyreek Hill obviously is, has been the, the leader in the evolution of the, the slot receiver thing, right? It's now a quick, fast guy. And Mike Vrabel said that April, it had become less of a horizontal position defending that, more of a vertical position. And it was easy to read into that being the reason that they didn't uh, retain, make any kind of bid to retain Logan Ryan, who was a very good player in terms of instinctual stuff, covering the short stuff, blitzing, and yeah. all of that. And now they've drafted a guy, Elijah Molden, who came out of college slower than Logan Ryan did, who's got a lot of the same skills as Logan Ryan, is very much a Logan Ryan-esque player. I, I have no objection to what Elijah Molden is, but what he isn't is the kind of guy that Mike Vrabel was talking about in April of 2020, a more vertical guy to cover that position. And so Tyreek Hill's going to be back in the slot, and the Titans are no better equipped to run vertically with him out of that position than they were when they lost that AFC Championship game. He didn't have great yardage that game, um, though he has against them in the past, but he did score two touchdowns. And he's constant threat that you're constantly worried about getting behind. And then Mahomes, it, it, you can't blitz him. And, and that's, that's the other problem here. Um, the, you want to rely on your pass rush in this game to get to him. But Buffalo won the game without blitzing him one time, and they they trounced them. That that's the game plan. And and the Titans play have, coverage, the but the Titans, Titans have don't have coverage people. Well, you blitz him and you're screwed. No, I know. I, I'm just saying that the way to play him is to play coverage, and the Titans don't have coverage people, quality coverage people. So I you're, feel like we're saying a lot jam. of the same things we said before the Buffalo game too, though defensively, right. and how difficult it's going to be to stop. And, and they didn't stop Buffalo offensively either, but the offense was the key. You, so, you I mean, I, I think once again, the key is, well, I mean, even if the defense can make some plays and it's not necessarily a shootout, it's just that the offense with all of the injuries in that secondary plays up to par well, and, don't and does up. what they need and to Kansas do against City's a bad defense. easier to score against, for, for sure. Well, don't give up the home run hits. You know, you, you allow the base hits that get you to the red zone where Breon Borders is much better in coverage. You know, everything's boxed in. Um, you can keep a man in front of you much easier in the red zone. And that's where the Titans did their work against the Bills. They, they need that same formula where you, you, you force Kansas City to drive the field instead of hit the 40-yard touchdown bomb. The, uh, we had a little bit of a running joke out there. You know, who do we see first, Greg Maben or Bobby Hart, who's an offensive lineman who's been around, who, who they signed, and they're depleted uh, uh, again line, yeah. on the offensive line. Uh, or who do you see first, Dylan Radins or Bobby Hart? Anything on anything on Lawan today, from from? No, Vrabel? we're awaiting an injury report, which we would have thought would have come earlier rather than later today, uh, because it's just a walkthrough. Uh, and I wonder if the injury report technically is an estimated uh, injury report, because I don't think it's very difficult for an injured guy to to walk, uh, you know, to to walk through, as opposed to practice. So we'll see what comes of that. Uh, Tannehill, you know, said he talked to Lawan and, uh, you know, talked through the scariness of seeing a teammate, you know, get strapped down a backboard and all of that and the relief of knowing that he's all right. But, uh, boy, could they use a game where everybody finishes. Um, Vrabel was very uh, praised Saffold, called him a premier run blocker um, and sounded like he was really encouraged that he was able to finish that game and that maybe he turned a corner in terms of being able to go forward now without the – the worry of his ability to get through a game. It's not two, two straight games where we've seen Ben Jones get through. 
Yeah. You know? I mean, I'd say the interior line is, is trending up uh, while you have your concerns on, on the outside, still with Lawan, who has you know, not played many complete games. I thought Ben Jones looked as healthy as he's looked all season in this game, too. He didn't seem to be struggling as much physically to move around. We'll get back into the Titans at the end of the final hour, but we kick off the 4 o'clock Central hour with the VolQuest Power Hour. Time to discuss all things University of Tennessee. Brent Hubbs and Austin Price are on deck. Jeremy Pruitt will be discussed. Also, Tennessee, Bama, and much more. Stay with us right here for OutKick 360.